Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you love us, knowing that you know what's best for us. So, Father, I remember all the things that we do in the life of our church throughout the year to benefit others, to show once and for all that this campus is not a country club. It's not a got-to-pay-your-dues membership type organization, but that we are here to serve. And, Father, these shoeboxes that we bring today that will literally be scattered throughout the world. We place, we place our lives in your hands, and we put these boxes in your hands and ask that they be used to enrich a person's life, to see a child smile, but more so than anything else, to bring words of eternal life to those who need it. Father, we do thank you for this season of the year, for the opportunities that are right before us to do good things in your name. And it's all these things we pray in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. And all God's people said, hope you've had a good week. Just a reminder that we live in a pandemic If you are keeping up with the headlines, if you are aware of the infection rate and the the dangers that are before us with COVID-19, it's just a reminder that if we will practice diligent, if if we'll be diligent in wearing a mask when we're in this building, if we will be diligent and practice that physical distancing, if we will do the things that we've been doing then we're able to meet on campus. We're able to, to get back to doing a lot of the things that church means to us. So that's just a word of encouragement. Just don't let up. Don't uh, be complacent. Um, this is nothing to joke about, nothing to take anything but serious. So once again, I thank you for doing just that and being considerate of one another and I've got these laying all over the place so that I can pick one up if I forget to bring it where I need to have it on, and I hope that you will continue to do the same. Next Sunday, we're going to have bread and cup, just wanting you to be aware of that. We're going to be having that uh, those elements uh, distributed to us in a way that is safe. If you're online, I'm just going to remind you that you need to prepare to have the elements that you're going to use in that celebration to have those ready for next Sunday morning. But in light of all that, we've been talking about how things are so different and how things we're hoping will get back to a normal. And people have coined the new normal. I'm not sure what that means. We're talking about whatever comes next. And really, whatever comes next is right in the here and now. But we've been looking over the past several weeks at some some people in Scripture, people who faced not a pandemic like we're talking about. Some of them did face plagues. They're all over the Old Testament. But it's how people responded to an, an abrupt change in their routine, I guess is the best way to put it. 
And this is the way that it is with all of us. There are challenges that we face. There are issues that confront us that have come upon us quickly, too quickly in many instances. And are there some... Are there some people, are there some scripture references that can, can help us? And of course, the answer to that, that is a resounding yes. And we looked this morning at the life of a young man. His name is John Mark. He is responsible for writing that second gospel that we have in the scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel number two has Mark's name all over it though he's never mentioned by name in it. All the way through church history, it has been identified as the work of this young man. But if we, if we look at him, there's much to be learned. The only issue is there's not that much material in the Scripture, in the New Testament, regarding this young man. The verses that we do come to today, we're going to have to read into the text some things, perhaps, not take things out of context by any means. But we're going to have to do a little searching. And really what we're going to really find ourselves having to do is just following the Scripture, following the verses. And as we put them together, they come from several books, several of the letters that we find in the New Testament. And if we will draw strength from those, it can help you, it can help me in these days of uncertainty. So, hope you have a Bible ready to open up to several passages. We're going to be moving through them fairly quickly. They're always on the screen. Tell me thank you for that. That didn't make me feel good enough. Say it again. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm always looking out after you. And I don't want you to laugh at these, but I need a little help in reading some of these verses. So, they're stuck on my nose. If they fall off... I'll pick them up, but they do help. Following the Scripture, the first instance we have of John Mark is in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 51 and 52. The setting is Jesus has taken the Passover dinner, the Passover supper with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem. They are heading out toward the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray and where Judas Iscariot will lead the soldiers that will make the arrest of Jesus. So this is Easter week. This is Thursday evening. The the trial will go through the wee hours of the next morning and Jesus will be nailed to a cross at 9 o'clock on Friday morning. This is Thursday night and it says, A young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. At first glance, we're going to sit here and go, what in the world is going on here? I mean, why? What's, What's so important about these two brief verses? Well, there are different ways to look at these verses. As we head into the first reference to this man named John Mark. I've always looked at it that this passage represents a young man who was fearless, a young man who was willing to take risks. Now, you notice we didn't read his name here in this passage. He is unnamed all the way through. But scholars throughout the centuries have 
have come to a common agreement that this is Mark putting himself in his own gospel, almost like a, a painter who would paint himself into a famous painting, somewhere in the background, a, a cameo appearance, if you will, that it's always been assumed that this is John Mark's way of identifying himself. There are some other passages that may help us understand this. Acts chapter 12, verse 12, when Peter was delivered by angels from prison, he went to the house of Mary, it says. The house of Mary, who was the mother of John, called Mark. So there's been some speculation that John, Mark, and his mother, Mary, lived at a home in Jerusalem, which is attested by Acts 12, 12. Some have even gone so far as to say the upper room where Jesus met with his disciples belonged to Mary, that it was at her home in the upstairs room of her own house where Jesus took the bread and the cup with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. Those are all things that you can read into the text. There are some who go way overboard, and they begin to symbolize this passage that the linen cloth it says this young man was wearing was the same word used for a burial cloth. And so they symbolically link this young man and his escape in the middle of the night, his failure, if you will, to the death of Jesus and the burial cloth that he was shrouded in. That's a pretty big stretch. But you know how some of us preachers are at times? You know, we try to stretch things to make them look good. Now, I would never do that. You know that. Never have I done that. But there is something to say here about an unnamed young man, whether he was John Mark or not. And we're going to assume that it is. And it appears that he cared enough that he understood the danger Jesus was, was, was in, where he was headed. He didn't know what would happen. And he followed Jesus into the garden. And when the arrest happened, he almost became part of that arrest himself but he ran, even losing the clothes that he had, which was very little, almost like it was his pajamas, the Scripture would say. We have a young man who was fearless, who at a young age, how old was he? We don't know. Teenager, late teens, early 20s, your guess is as good as mine. But we have a young man who was near enough, who understood, who was fearless in a sense, but when the time came for Jesus to be betrayed, he ran. Some would read into that, he failed. Maybe. Let's see what other passages tell us about this young man. We find that over in the book of Acts chapter 12, he has a pretty strong start. It says there, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Now, there we have the first instance in Scripture, chronologically as well, Acts chapter 12, where this young man is actually named. We know him to be a relative of Barnabas, a cousin. He's a young man, even in this passage. And what happens? Barnabas and Saul, whose Greek name will be changed to Paul, Paul the Apostle, the one that's responsible for 13 of the 
27 books in the New Testament. We're all familiar with Paul. Well, in the very outset, when they began the missionary journeys, Barnabas and Saul, good friends, went on a journey to take the gospel to places outside of Israel. And John Mark came along with them. So this is several years past the cross. And if the unnamed young man in Mark chapter 14 indeed is John Mark, we find that that little clip, that little cameo appearance, if you will, reminds us of a young man who was fearless but ran. But now he's hooked up with Barnabas, his cousin, and with Saul, an amazing Jew who came to Christ who's still kind of a mysterious figure to many of the Christians living during this time. They weren't quite sure if Paul was, or if Saul Paul was genuine, if he really understood and knew what it meant to follow Jesus. And so they embark upon this first missionary journey, and John Mark is with them. But then the very next chapter, Acts 13, verse 13, I ask a question here. Have you and I, have we ever stumbled? Look what it says. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So what's happened? Mark 14, an unnamed young man is there at the arrest of Jesus. He escapes without a stitch of clothing to show for it. He runs away naked. He fails. But then years later, we don't know exactly how many, several years after the time of the cross and the resurrection, John Mark hooks up with his cousin Barnabas, and Barnabas introduces him to Saul, and they head off on a first missionary excursion. But then in Acts 13, before they even get out of the boat crossing from the land of Israel up into Asia, before they even make it to the first place where they're going to tell the gospel and, and give birth to a church. It tells us that John, John Mark, left them and went back home. Not too much to make of that right here. There could have been any number of reasons why he would have gone home and returned home. Maybe he realized that there was some urgent business he needed to take care of. We don't know. Maybe he got word that his mother Mary had grown ill. There could have been any number of reasons as we read through this passage at a first glance as to why John Mark turned and went back. But it's in Acts 15 that we find out a little more info. I call it messy relationships. Let's look and see what the Scripture says. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord, and let's see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him, take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Hmm. Now we get a little drama inserted into the narrative. I mean, follow the scripture. An unnamed young man runs away the arrest of Jesus. We identify him, identify him as John Mark. Mark. 
Then all of a sudden, several years later, when Paul is ready to head out and start missionary work, he's introduced to a young man named Barnabas who has a younger cousin named John Mark. And they all band together to take the gospel to the world. How exciting. We find that John Mark, before they even began that first missionary journey, turned and went back home. But we're not sure why. But now we know. Apparently, John Mark got scared. He lost his nerve. He became discouraged. Now, if you do a little research into history, you'll find that where they disembarked from the Mediterranean Sea and headed up to those places where they visited on the first missionary journey wasn't the best of places to travel. Matter of fact, that's an understatement. So it could have well been and probably was something to do, had something to do with the fact that when they started moving upward into Asia on that first missionary journey, maybe they had some close calls. Maybe they were attacked. Maybe they were robbed. Whatever it was, John Mark left them. And now in Acts 15, which is sometime later, Paul comes back to Barnabas and says, Hey, remember how great we did on the first missionary journey? Let's go again. Barnabas says, Yes, let me get John Mark and we'll get him to come along with us. No, said Paul. Not that young guy who is spineless. Not the one who deserted us. We gave him a chance. And he turned and he ran when he got scared. No way we're taking him with us. We just read it. It grew to be such an argument and a point of dissension between a division between Barnabas and Paul that they finally parted ways. Hmm. Have you ever had an experience like that before? A time when you think you know somebody, you've been around them long enough to understand, and then all of a sudden they pull something like John Mark did. They show a different side of who they, who they really are, and it's disappointing, and it makes you angry. It causes you to bear grudges. It's exactly what's going on here between Paul and Barnabas. Paul was so insistent that they cut off this young man. He's irresponsible. He failed us. Never again will he have another chance. And it caused such a division that they went their separate ways. The interesting thing is, friends, you'll find that when they did go their separate ways, which they did, the narrative picks up with Paul from here. We don't really hear anything else about Barnabas and John Mark. That's just the way the narrative went. Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, apparently was on the road with Paul during those second and third following missionary journeys. Whatever the case, the relationships got very messy. And you know, a pandemic pretty well has done the same with lots of people. 
That in an election year, no doubt. It's something I think we need to pay close attention to. Well, there's two or three other, several other passages here that are just brief, brief references to John Mark. I call them all maturity and second chances. First Peter five thirteen. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does my son Mark. Okay, now this is the letter that Peter wrote to anyone who would pick up and read it. It went to a, a widespread audience. This is 30 or 4 years, 30 to 40 years after the cross. So this is way on down the line. And when Peter is giving some closing remarks... He mentions she who is in Babylon, which is a pretty much so a reference to the church. She, the feminine, you refer to buildings or ships or something in the feminine nature. Well, the church is the bride of Christ. This is probably a reference, a veiled reference in Peter's closing remarks where he says the church sends greetings. And then he mentions who? Mark. In a positive light. Colossians 4.10, Aristocharis, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, this isn't Peter's letter. This is Colossians. This is Paul's letter. It's also oh, 15, 20 years maybe, give or take. After this first and second missionary journey, misunderstanding between Paul and Barnabas, and here Paul says, what? Come in, Mark. Philemon 23 and 24, the letter that Paul wrote to that man whose name was Philemon. He says at the end, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. So here, at the end of Paul's letter to Philemon, he mentions names of comrades, of fellow workers, and Mark's included in it. But 2 Timothy 4.11 is the icing on the cake for me. Paul says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul is in prison. We know that. In prison for the last time. His, his time is almost up on this earth. And when he writes to Timothy and asks Timothy to bring him some belongings, literally, he said he wanted his cloak because it was cold. He wanted the books, the writings. But then who does he say, I want you to bring? I want you to bring Mark. I mean, here... Follow it. An unnamed young man who runs from the arrest of Jesus. A young man who joins Saul, Paul, and Barnabas on a missionary journey, who then abruptly returns home. We then find out that there's a messy relationship that has is, that is really happened because it's centered upon John Mark's leaving that band on their first missionary journey. But then we have little snippet of Scripture 
First Peter, letters of Paul, that end up telling us that John Mark became very, very near and dear to the man who years before had said, I will never, ever have anything to do with you again. You know, sometimes it's not how you start, but it's how you finish, isn't it? So what can we take from, from these, the, this trail of script, these connected scriptures that, once again, we've got to be careful, don't want to take them out of context, don't want to build a, a complete story around things that we're just making up. But I think we have enough evidence in these letters, enough information given to us, to come up with some guidelines for how we approach whatever our next normal is going to be. And really, folks, I've kind of changed my mind. There's really nothing new about what we're going through now. I mean, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a virus. It's a pandemic. It's turned the world upside down. But it's no different. It's the same pattern. It's the same issues that we face on a smaller scale, you might say, that we've seen repeated in history. So where we are right now, where we are today, what can we take away from these connected verses that can help us? Well, I want to ask you to consider the following. There's just a few. Fear need not paralyze us. Fear does not have to paralyze us. Keep that in mind. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from the poor choices that you've made because we can see clear as a bell that John Mark made some poor choices. Maybe it was because of lack of maturity, but as time went on, he was able to take those mistakes and he was able to capitalize upon them, if you will. And don't forget this. Paul made some mistakes as well. Just because he may be painted as the one who was in the right and the one who was victimized or was mistreated by the irresponsibility of a young guy, Paul had some missteps in this, of which he apparently learned from. Consider this. When you fail, treat your failure as an opportunity to fail forward. Fail forward, which is simply saying that, folks, just because we may make a poor decision, just because we may not have everything tied up in a nice little bow and all the details of what's going on, life is messy. And when we fail, we don't have to make failure the signature of our lives that stop us in our tracks. We fail for, we, we use, it's, it's learning from the mistakes, but when we fail, realize that sometimes those decisions, even if they fail, they help propel us forward. And then above all, in the days in which we're living, we need to abide by the singular, most important principle that we find in God's Word, and that is the principle of grace. The principle of grace, of unmerited favor, of God loving us enough to give us not what we deserve, because we deserve punishment, we deserve death, we deserve 
alienation and separation. That's what we deserve living in our law, in our world today. But God gives us grace. He gives us unmerited favor. And we should extend that to those around us. It makes this make a whole lot more sense. When I realize every time I put it on and I can't see because my little specks fog up and I can't do this and do what I want to do at the same time. It's just a reminder to me that what I'm doing is I'm being gracious. I am protecting others more times than myself. So is there really a next normal? Or is it just realizing that the situation, though it may look different, really hasn't changed? And our approach to moving through it has never changed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to follow the Scripture, to just let the verses speak for themselves, to, yes, be creative, to read into a phrase or two or a name here and there. But, Father, I think that Overall, you've told us through the lives of people in the Bible that there is a path to restoration. There is a path of grace. So help us to follow that path. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We wrap up this hour the way we do each and every time we meet. We respond because when God speaks, we're given that opportunity to make a choice. It could very well be that you're here today and you have never said yes to the claim of Jesus upon your life. It's a choice. It's a prayer that one prays, yes. It's a crossing, a line of faith, absolutely a decision. And we want to give you that opportunity to make that choice today. Could be that you're here today and you're looking for a place to belong, a place to call your own, a church, church home. Because that's what church should be in a sense. If belonging to our congregation is what you desire to do, we want to give you that opportunity as well to connect and to become a part of the First Baptist Church of Louisville. And for many of us, it's simply a matter of, I know I'm a believer, I belong to this church, but I can identify a lot with a young man who had some stumbles in life, but who given a little maturity and given grace by others, second chances, if you will, made a tremendous impact for the good in people's lives. Let God speak.